0: Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you again for joining me at Compass. I am Chris, the pastor at Compass. As always, it's just a joy to me that you have joined me today, especially today because we are starting a brand new message series called Question Tradition. Now, depending on what you think of tradition, you could either be really excited to question it. Or you might be a little concerned about questioning it. Because we all have traditions. And most of those traditions are things that have been handed down to us. Holiday traditions, family traditions, religious tradition. Usually, we are aware of those traditions and we think that they are for the most part good. But we also do things that are driven by tradition that we may not even be aware of. I mean, for example, if if you got a drink at a restaurant and they brought that drink out to you with no ice in it, you'd probably be pretty surprised because it's customary in the United States for us to put ice in our drinks at restaurants. But that's not the tradition in other countries. In fact, they think it's weird that drinks come full of ice, even though for us, it's just normal. It's just such a a tradition here that we don't even think about it. We have all sorts of weird traditions that we accept and never question. I mean, like, why do we eat turkey on thanksgiving why does the tooth fairy trade money for teeth why can't i wear white after labor day we respond to all of these traditions even though we may not be aware of them or even know why here's another tradition or another question at least about tradition why does the United States use the standard, or it's called the imperial system of measurements? So inches, feet, miles, and gallons. Why do we use that instead of the metric system? Almost every other country in the world uses the metric system for all of their measurements. And the only countries that don't are Liberia, Myanmar, and the United States. So why do we use inches and yards instead of centimeters and meters? Well. The metric system was developed in the late 1700s in France, and we actually did have people like Thomas Jefferson who wanted the United States to join the rest of the world in adopting the metric system. Do you wanna know why we didn't? Religion, no joke. When the push to adopt the the metric system started in the late 1700s, there was a large segment of religious people who pushed back against it really hard. Now they concluded, without any basis, in fact, that the imperial system of measurement was an ancient and divine system that could be traced all the way back to Noah in the Bible. This is Charles Piazzi Smith. He was one of the primary opponents, and he said that the metric system, quote, did formally abolish Christianity, burn the Bible, declare God to be non-existent, a mere invention of priests, and institute a worship of humanity or of themselves. Smith and the religious people like him, they believed that, that the people pushing the metric system were radical liberals, atheists, and part of, no joke, a worldwide conspiracy. People in these, this extreme anti-metric movement, they, they themselves spread conspiracy theories and they appealed to the purity of nature and nation in order to stop it. And they described themselves as patriots, capitalists, Christians and supporters of God, country, and nature. So our tradition of using the standard system of measurements is based in large part on fake science and fear of other people who want to destroy our religious values and conspiracy. Think about that the next time you have to buy a ruler for your kids' school supplies. Tradition can be a good thing, but even traditions that are founded in good things can over time actually hurt people. And the power of tradition can be so strong that even when it doesn't make any sense, we will still let it guide our lives. So, today, as we begin this new message series, I want to understand how to identify and respond to the religious traditions in our lives that may not be as good as we think they are. And we're going to start by looking at how Jesus responded to these traditions in Matthew 9.9. And it says that as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. This is one of my favorite stories in all of the gospels because it, it's so full of nuance and meaning that is right on the surface, but isn't totally obvious. Okay, so Jesus called a tax collector to follow him. I mean, what's the big deal about that? Well, almost all of it was a big deal to the first century Jewish people. And all this begins with an understanding of their context. See, the Jewish people lived under Roman occupation. Their land and their rights were taken from them by the armies of a Roman dictator. And that Roman dictator, he didn't just rule over them, but he demanded these crippling taxes from them. In order to collect many of those taxes, what Rome would do would be to sell the rights to collect them to local tax collectors, who in this case were regional Jewish tax collectors who taxed their own people on Rome's behalf. Now those Jewish tax collectors would then not only collect what Rome demanded, but they would collect an extra amount in order to pad their own pockets. And they could do this because they could always use the threat of Roman punishment on anyone who didn't pay whatever they asked for. It was was a legal extortion racket. And also, because Rome was this military dictatorship oppressing the land, many Jewish people believed that any act of submission to Caesar, like paying taxes, was the same as committing treason against God. As a result, Jewish tax collectors, like Matthew, they were seen as traitors who had sold their souls in order to aid a foreign occupier in order to oppress their own people. So, I mean, tax collectors were so despised that they they weren't allowed to serve as witnesses in trial. They weren't allowed to participate in the synagogue, which was their modern-day church. I mean, they were the worst of the worst. Think about it this way. Currently, Russia is invading Ukraine and attempting to take over and occupy the whole country. Now, imagine how the Ukrainian citizens feel about these foreign invaders who are actively killing and oppressing their people. Now, imagine that you are one of those citizens and you live in a Russian-occupied city. And you have a Ukrainian neighbor who comes to you demanding money in order to pay taxes to Russia. And on top of that, they demand an extra 25% fee that's going to go directly to them. I mean, you can understand how traitorous and hated tax collectors were and even why they, they might have been cut off from being part of the Jewish community. But there's more. Matthew writes this in, in verse 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? In addition to being traitors and extortionists, tax collectors were considered to be notorious sinners. In part, that was because good religious Jews wouldn't have anything to do with them and and because they were cut off from life in the synagogue, cut off from the religious and social heart of the community. As a result, they were known to live in a, a very Roman way. And, and because they lived in a Roman way, they rejected much of Jewish law, including the sexual and dietary and purity guidelines that were there. So when Matthew, who's basically writing his own story here, says that he invited Jesus to a dinner at his house with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, he's saying that he invited Jesus to a Roman-style party where there were other Roman traders, prostitutes, and other really bad people. Which brings us to religious tradition. Religious Jews did not associate with pagan Gentiles or other notorious sinners. And this tradition was rooted in the commands of the law not to engage in the idolatry of the Gentiles, which which basically became a tradition that said this, your holiness depends on your ability to keep away from people who are not holy. And we can see that this tradition was lived out in the response of the pharisees who asked jesus's disciples how he could possibly eat with such scum righteous people are supposed to associate with other righteous people never with tax collectors tax collectors and prostitutes i mean this is settled tradition that had been followed for generations but look at jesus's response in verse 12. when jesus heard this he said healthy people don't need a doctor sick people do and then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. It's here that Jesus, confronted by the religious tradition of the Pharisees, questioned that tradition. And I want to show you what their tradition said. And then I want to show you what Jesus said. The Pharisees' tradition said that sinners are evil. It's black and white. There are good people, and then there are wicked and evil people. And whichever you are determines your position in our religious society. And the Pharisees' tradition said that adherence to the law is everything. Again, it's black and white. If it's a religious rule, you follow it. Following the rules is everything. So, I mean, making personal sacrifices and separating yourself from anyone who doesn't follow the religious rules, that's how you show your holiness to God. And then finally, the the religious tradition of the Pharisees said that righteous people are elevated. The people who adhere to the religious rules the best are the ones who are platformed and elevated into the center circle of religious society. And the only way to get there is by your personal righteousness. Sinners or the evil and the unholy who don't adhere to the rules of the law are left on the outer edges of the circle. Now, if they choose to become righteous like the Pharisees, they can become elevated too. But otherwise, your level of inclusion is based on your level of righteousness. That was the tradition of the Pharisees. But now, look at what Jesus said to the idea that sinners are evil. Jesus says, your tradition says that these people are evil and not to be included in the kingdom of God, but I say that they're sick and they're the ones who are most in need of inclusion into the kingdom. See, Jesus broke with the black and white tradition of the Pharisees to say that sinners are sick. Sin is evil, yes, but but these are people who are sick and need help. No hospital would ever leave a sick person out on the curb because that person was too sick to come in. Rather, a hospital is a place full of sick people. And the kingdom of God also welcomes the sick and the sinner. And then, to the idea that adherence to the law is everything. Jesus says, your tradition says, your sacrifices of animals and sacrifice of money and your sacrifice of holy living that and, and, and your fidelity to the law... That these demonstrate your obedience to God. But I say that the mercy you show towards the outsider, the excluded, and the sinner, that that demonstrates your faithfulness to God. Jesus broke with the tradition of the Pharisees to say that mercy is everything. The idea that your closeness to God is measured by following religious rules is just absurd to Jesus because God desires mercy and love towards others, not sacrifices for himself. Follow all the religious rules, be perfectly doctrinally pure in all your beliefs, and make all the sacrifices in the world. But if you don't demonstrably love people first, all of that stuff is absolutely meaningless. It's just spiritual busy work compared to the heart and mission of the kingdom of God to love your neighbor as yourself. And then to the tradition that righteous people should be elevated in religious circles, Jesus says this, he says, you think the kingdom of God is meant for those who think they are righteous because of what they know or how they live or who they associate with. But I say the kingdom is God for meant, is meant for those who know that they are messed up, who know that they are broken and know that they're in need of redemption. Jesus says that broken people are elevated. The kingdom of God is for sinners, which all of us are. The tradition of the pharisees taught them that their piety elevated them above other people who weren't as holy as they were and then that piety entitled them to levels of religious society that were cut off from lowly sinners but the truth is that we're all equal before the cross in god's kingdom you may have gotten in first and you may have been there longer than others but it doesn't make you greater than anyone else who's trying to get in. If you really look around the kingdom of God, you're going to be surprised by who's in there. I want to really take a look at Jesus' call to Matthew to come follow him. And we can gloss over this if we don't slow down and take a really good look at it. Because as a tax collector, Matthew was, by all accounts, a bad guy who did bad things with bad people. And I think it's difficult for us to really feel how outside of good society Matthew actually was. Because collecting taxes in our context isn't that big a deal. But let's put this into our context. Let's put this into the context of the people who the evangelical church traditionally excludes today. What if Jesus had called a transgender person to come follow him? Would that surprise you? Would that confuse and anger you like it did the Pharisees? What if Jesus called a sex worker or a genuine socialist? What if Jesus called a married gay couple to come and be part of his inner circle of 12 disciples? Because that's what Matthew was. And that's what Jesus did. And let me be crystal clear. Jesus is calling the transgender person. He is calling the sex worker and the socialist and the gay couple because Jesus hasn't changed and neither has his invitation The only thing that has changed is our traditions and who our traditions either exclude or include. And when you look at it that way, what's your reaction? Do you think, wow, I get to show the mercy and love of Jesus to more people who are sinners just like me? Or do you think, like the Pharisees, why does this church welcome such scum? Is your response to welcome them with open arms? Or is it to push away those who you see as unrighteous? Because Jesus welcomed Matthew, who was a notorious sinner, into his inner circle of 12 disciples. Of all of the thousands of people who Jesus could have chosen, he chose Matthew to not only follow him, but to be on his leadership team. Religious people have a tendency to think of the church as a hierarchy of righteousness. The more righteous you become, the closer to the center of the circle you get to come until you finally reach the elite level of the center ring where only the holiest and most spiritual of us are allowed. But Jesus says, no. The center of the circle is for a traitorous, extortionist tax collector who's probably taken advantage of a lot of people who hasn't been to church in ages and is friends with prostitutes and other sinners who live about as far away from the religious rules as you possibly can, who probably doesn't even know half of the ways in which his life is broken by sin. That's the guy who I'm inviting into the center of the kingdom that God is building. Jesus showed us what it really looks like to love your neighbor as yourself, to see humankind not as good or bad, but as sick in need of Jesus. He showed us how to prioritize mercy for people over the adherence to religious rules and to elevate the outsider and the marginalized and the hurting rather than to elevate those who think that they are more righteous than others. When confronted with the religious tradition of his day, Jesus questioned it. And I invite you to do the same thing today by asking yourself this one question. Do I follow a tradition of Christ-like love or do I follow a tradition of human religion? Am I put off by what I see as the evil of people who aren't like me? Or do I see them as people who need the love and mercy of Jesus? Love that I can provide. Do I see myself as worthy of being at the center of my church hierarchy because of my righteousness, while I see others as being unworthy of being here with me because of their sinfulness? Jesus is love was radical, his acceptance was radical, and and the transforming work that he can do in a person's life is also radical. Matthew was probably the most scandalous choice to be one of his closest disciples, and yet Matthew is also the one whose book we're reading today, who's one of the most well-known of Jesus' disciples by millions of people thousands of years later. And Jesus is still calling more Matthews today. So will we allow our tradition to keep them out? Or let the example of Jesus cause us to welcome them in? I know what kind of church and what kind of follower of Jesus I wanna be. And my prayer is that he would shape us into his image, allowing us to love erratically like he did. Thank you for joining me, and I will see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.